Good afternoon. <laughs> we got there eventually. Welcome to the National Library of Australia. My name is Erin Dampney. I'm the Director of Facilities and Security here at the Library. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, and I would like to thank their elders past, present and emerging for caring for this land we are so privileged to call home. And it is such a pleasure to see so many of you here this afternoon to listen to Annabelle Crabbe in conversation about her latest book, Special Guest, a cookbook for anyone who has ever felt like punching the wall before their guests arrive. <laughs> Special Guest is a guide to turning simple fare into something of a celebration. It's for anyone who has ever wanted to say, why don't you stay for lunch without hating themselves afterwards? <laughs> Special Guest is co-written by Wendy Sharp, Annabelle's oldest friend, recipe consultant on Kitchen Cabinet and co-conspirator on a number of cooking projects. This afternoon, Annabelle speaks with Lish Feyer, broadcaster, Sunday brunch presenter, and most importantly, a keen cook who has been delving very deeply, I've been hearing, into the recipes in the last few weeks. So please join me in welcoming Annabelle Crabbe and Lish Feyer. Annabelle. I'm very pleased to see that basket. Because whenever you see Annabelle arrive anywhere, she's always got a basket. It looks like treats. <laughs> so I thought I'd better... Welcome, everyone. Thank you all for coming out. What a treat. I have known Annabelle for ages. Unfortunately, she has just met me. <laughs> um, probably like most of you, we feel like we know her so well because she's so incredibly personable, generous grilling at times, but with that beautiful edge, so they, politicians don't know they're grill, getting a grilling. She gets the most out of anyone, but I think also gives the most. So just delighted uh, to be in conversation this afternoon, Annabelle. Well, I'm liking you already, I must say. You seem delightful. I think we're going to get along famously. I think we are. But also the podcast, also, the I would books, like those shoes. The, mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she did threaten to swap outside, but I think we could go well. Now... We're here to talk about a book. <laughs> Has anyone received or cooked from special guests yet? Yeah? A few? I have done an incredible amount of research. I have been doing a sort of a Julie and Julia style <laughs> job of this. Midnight, every night, baking another five things out of this book. And let me tell you, not a single one has been a dud. God, that is such like, a relief. Not a single one. In in fact, this morning I was even ordering the husband to make something from it. Make the Turkish eggs. We haven't got time to waste. <laughs> so, Annabelle, I would like to start by asking you about entertaining because it is all about that wonderful generosity that comes with entertaining. And just as women of a certain age, I feel entertaining is just way too much now. And I want to know how our parents did it so beautifully. Can you take us, peer us through the curtain of Annabelle Crabbe's childhood and what you were looking at in the 70s into your e entertaining education? 
Well, I grew up in a, in a rural pocket, as my mother likes to remind me. Um, <laughs> she uses that as an excuse for not being able to use a travel card and things. So she's like, <laughs> I grew up in a rural pocket, that's why. Um, but, uh, so I grew up on a sheep farm uh, on the Adelaide Plains with an older brother, a younger brother, and my mum and dad. And so my memories of cooking and entertaining are really probably centred around, we had sheep, so we had shearers, and cooking for shearers is like an insanely demanding, they eat a lot, <laughs> and they've got to really <laughs> smash it down in the quick smokos that they get. And they really like, you know, slabs of cake and um, sandwiches and all sorts. So the cakes that I remember cooking were based around catering for these itinerant sort of hordes of shearers who ate a lot and didn't say much and smoked the whole time. Um, <laughs> but what am I didn't say much? They said a lot, actually. Um, <laughs> which is part of the reason why I'm unoffendable today, is I've <laughs> hung around with heaps of shearers. But, um, uh, but dinner parties, you know, in, in, a, in a country area are not the same at all as they are in a city area. So, for one, um, you'd have to drive to wherever it was, you know, it could be, even if it was a neighbour, could be <coughs> five or ten k's away. And um, we, this is what's changed, I guess, in, in my lifetime. If mum and dad were going for a dinner party to a neighbouring property, um, we would get stuck in the car and packed in with quilts and stuff, and that's where we would spend the night. <laughs> like, we'd be outside in the car. <laughs> I've got this really clear re re recollection of um, Dad saying to the three of us as he clunked the door shut, he said, now don't come after us because there's dangerous dogs on this property. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, man, oh man. Like, would the crabs the have a little picnic inside the car? Would the kid, crab kids? Oh, look, occasionally we'd be given like a box of cereal or something. That would be a bit of a treat. <laughs> like, it just was... Anyway, it was very, very customary for the era, but really it's could not be less similar to the and sort then the of party that was going on inside the oh, house. Oh yeah, and the, and it was it was like a foreign grown up land, you know, where your parents who were completely normally behaved during the day would you know be there'd be people in swishy dresses and <laughs> you know and canapes and stuff like that. I remember once this terrible situation where um, oh and and also those little after dinner mints oh. on the sleeves. Oh, <laughs> and I remember like. I would help my mum prepare for dinner parties and, you know, there'd be a salmon mousse or something like that so the fish mould would come out and, um, or I'd assist in making the, the smoked oyster dip, which was block of Philly cheese, tin of drained smoked oysters, <laughs> like mashed up with a little bit of a lemon squeeze and some chopped curly parsley. Um, to be honest, I would still eat that today. Oh, I, love, really? I love smoked oysters, even though I'm not supposed to in any way. Um, yeah. And the thrill of creeping out in the, <sighs> the morning. next morning, and you'd go through the little um, after dinner mint box to see if anyone had accidentally left one in one of the sleeves. You'd be like, I got one! Um, I remember a terrible morning where um, I came across what I thought was a small bowl of smoked almonds. And I thought, oh, delicious. Turns out, like, Turns out it, they were olive pips. <laughs> very, very a trap for young players. But um, my friend Wendy and co-author, um, she writes in, in her introduction to the book about 
at dinner parties at her grandmother's place because she um, used to board at her grandmother's place when she went to school in the city. And so I spent a lot of time at Grandma, uh, Grandma Gwen's place too. Um, and her dinner parties were a masterpiece of engineering. You know, there'd be three courses, and, like just immaculate table settings, gypsophila everywhere, and, um, and uh, as Wendy recalls, the waft of Nina Ritchie perfume. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think if you've grown up with elaborate dinner parties or you, you sort of remember them being a big special occasion and you'd all have to be quiet as children. Um, but I don't think... I mean, I certainly don't entertain like that. And I think that people these days have a heart attack at the idea of... of you know, assembling your napery and polishing your silverware oh. and bringing out the, you know, the, the good china and the good cutlery and so on. I mean, I'm, you know, if I get something edible on the table, then I'm congratulating myself. And then and better change for dinner. Like, this is the oh thing. Oh, yeah, they change for dinner. For dinner. So for good. Dinner. But also, oh. I mean, I think things have changed. If you invite um, people over who have kids, they're not going to leave them in the car outside anymore. <laughs> they're going to... I know. It really sucks. I can't believe I got the rubber end of both plungers, you know, like, I was in the car and I don't get to put my children in the car. Great. <laughs> It's kind of like the millennial, you know, um, situation um, where they get the generational um, short straw both ways. Um, but I think, too, because it's much more like, unlikely these days that you'll have um, a household with um, a housewife and a breadwinner and the housewife isn't flitting about, you know... Um, making sure that um, all the prep's done on the salmon mousse or whatever. The housewife, in this occasion, is working until five, screaming home, swearing all the way, you know. <laughs> um, so I think that element of life has changed. Also, when you invite half a dozen people over for dinner, you'll have a celiac, you'll have two vegans, <laughs> you'll have someone who's really not that into mushrooms, and, like, it's like a big puzzle, like a Rubik's Cube, and so people get anxious about that. Also, if they've been watching any MasterChef at all, they feel like they've got to have immaculate plating and wow factor and, you know, that. And then also, I mean, I'm not that phased by much of the above mentioned. You know, I, I really love cooking and I, I don't mind a complicated cook. Uh, but the thing that really stresses me out is tidying up because I'm a messy person. So for me... The reason I don't invite people around for um, three-course dinner parties is because I cannot be asked cleaning off the dining room table, which has got um, <laughs> newspapers from the last three weeks. And that's um, why there's a very tight shot of Annabelle and her shot. kids here. Yeah. Um, because there's no mess. mess. Yeah. You cannot see a single I've bit of mess. I put all the mess behind <laughs> the children, which is my technique. <laughs> But we've got this verb at my house, which is criding, which is when you've got people coming over and you forgot that you had to tidy off the table and you haven't, and so you're just grabbing vast armfuls of stuff and, like, putting it behind things and you're just crying a little bit while you're doing it because you just can't believe that you live like this. But, yeah, um, so that's the thing that stresses me out. But mess like cooking is a, is, yeah. a, is handed down the generation. It don't is. Don't you think? Like that I've skill. inherited it totally. My mother's messy too. Is she? Yeah. But she's also a fabulous cook. She is. She just is a messy is cook. That, what like were me? the things that she taught you originally when you're a little tiny kid? Because often it takes great patience to instill the love of 
food, but more importantly, cooking in a child. Did she, she was have just that? super patient. Like the thing about my mum, and I wish I'd inherited a bit more of her patience actually, because I cook with my kids too, and I just like that little sound of a chair being dragged up, <laughs> and then this little face and like little hands, and I'll do it. And for me, my mother is an incredibly generous and patient person. So she is the sort of person who will um, prepare something beautifully or roll out a perfect sheet of gingerbread dough and some kid will come up and stick a cutter right in the middle of it. Like, <laughs> and she'll be like, that's adorable. Off you go. You just have a go. And I'll be like, no, no, you, you do it like this around the edges. And then like, you could get more out of this sheet if you did this. No, I'll do it. So it's a constant battle with my own control freakery. And also, like, everybody says that you should you should get your children to cook a whole meal because it's really great for them and it is, but I don't want to eat that meal. I want to eat the one that I'm making. I, I just like, I know exactly where I want to go with this dish. So I'm very, very, uh, I need work on my patience. And um, at our kids' school, actually, we are lucky enough to have a Stephanie Alexander kitchen garden, which is the greatest thing. So the kids grow all these vegetables and we've got a real hard-ass kitchen teacher at our primary school and she makes them cook stuff in the kitchen class that's just only comes from the garden and she'll start from scratch so it'll be like today you're making sweet potato gnocchi Oof. there's none of this well, let's make cupcakes nonsense Ooh. that's nice it's outdoors. like we're making wontons with celeriac because that's all <laughs> we've got in the garden this week and the kid's like okay but what is interesting is that I will sit there because I go in and help with kitchen classes because it's sort of the only thing I'm good at in the entire educational spectrum. Get out, um, get and out. it's amazing because you stand back and you let the kids do it, even if they're really, you know, taking a, a weird slash dangerous approach to the preparation <laughs> of this, like... Um, and then, then they all sit down and they share the food together. And I've seen kids eat the sort of the stuff that they would never eat at my house, you know? I do my best, but my kid's like, I have yet to produce a child who'll eat a tomato fresh. Like, I'm embarrassed about that, but I just, I mean, I do feed them lots of good <laughs> stuff, but they, they just have these sort of red light issues, and one of them is fresh tomatoes. I just do not understand it. I do tomatoes on anything else, in a pasta sauce, on a pizza, most notably, you know, but a fresh tomato will not do it. What's a young Why? Annabelle Crab? as a, you know, you've grown up, you've gone to your own house, yes. normal students are going through a heavy stuff. lentil phase. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you go through a lentil phase or were you always in your Dalmades, big giant Israeli couscous phase? Uh, like, were you, no. You... I was, so when I moved out of home, so I grew up on a, a sheep farm, as I mentioned. We used to do our own butchery. So I've been vegetarian since about the age of 15. <laughs> <laughs> you ask me why. I grew up on a farm, saw too much. Which I did. I just thought, oh, I don't like that aspect of really things very much um, and I thought well if I'm uncomfortable with watching an animal be deprived of its life then I probably shouldn't be you know eating the stuff and I thought you know what I wouldn't even miss it that much I don't love meat and so I thought well I'll eat things I'll only eat things that I'm prepared to murder myself so I eat fish happy to knock over a fish yeah. sorry fish yeah <laughs> uh, seafood I couldn't live without very happy to extinguish a prawn. I'm sorry, again. <laughs> um, so, but north of that, I don't eat. Um, and I, I'm, a I'm a total hypocrite because I cook meat for my kids. I don't, I'm not going to make a dietary decision for them. But um, the stuff that we eat at home is 
heavily. I, I mean, I get a lot of veg into them, but um, they love meat. They really love meat to, to an extent that I really didn't when I was a kid. Um, also, because they live on a sheep farm, like you, you're not getting the lambs when you yeah. live on the farm. <laughs> like, you're getting the ones that have seen a few summers. Yeah. You're getting the ones that were just like limping around, <laughs> looking as if they were ready to shuffle off this mortal coil. Yeah, you get a lot of casserole. <laughs> Very sheepy tasting casserole. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because the lamb chop, and when you see the lamb chop at ridiculous prices now. Yeah. In what, what, what is your thought? You're thinking, please, not another cutlet. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. it was all neck chops and oh. yeah. Okay, we'll move on from that. We had quickly. rabbits as well. So I know that love, some people are just massively into eating rabbit, but I ate a lot of rabbit when I was a kid. I've Did had you ferret? Did you go ferreting? Oh. I've just pulled I, up something that maybe out of the You have, actually, uh, because I had free-range guinea pigs. Of course. And my cousin was a ferreter, Jock. Tell us a bit more about Jock. Well, he lost... The thing with ferrets is you put them down rabbit holes and they're supposed to come up... They're supposed to murder a rabbit down there and bring it up to you. But one out of ten ferrets will go down there, kill the rabbit, eat it and go to sleep. Hmm. <laughs> and then you're just whistling Dixie up at ground level waiting for your ferret to come back and it doesn't. And then it gets dark, so you go home. Meanwhile, your ferret wakes up, having slept off the rabbit and comes up and eats my guinea pigs. That's what oh. happens. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not good with ferrets. No. No. Nor with Jock, cousin Jock. Anyway. Well, Jock went down a few notches in my estimation when that happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. Mm. So what are you eating at university? Are you still oh, being right. very experimental? Uh, no, I wasn't even a very good cook. Like, and I, I was a vegetarian by that stage. And... So, and I, if I hadn't been, I probably wouldn't have been buying meat anyway. I didn't have very much money. I worked at a service station, um, so I ate a lot of burger rings. Um, <laughs> it's pretty, it wasn't a very busy servo. Um, and, uh, you know, I... I worked at the servo for ages, actually, and I used to get there on my shift and wait, wait for the owners to leave, and then I'd put all the pornos back behind the counter. I'm like, I'm not selling pornos. <laughs> and, like, you get these people coming, these guys would come in, and they'd be browsing in the shop for ages, and they'd be like, ages and ages and ages. <laughs> and they'd come up to the counter and be like, I just have this stick of gum and these five magazines, please. <laughs> like, they don't like buying porn off girls. Anyway... I don't know why that memory came back no, to me. But it's like a ferret. Uh, what was I making? Yeah, I did. I used to do the like the big cook-up of lentils and vegetables oh. and sludge, and that would go in the fridge. Or if I forgot it to put it in the fridge, then bad things would happen because you cannot oh. leave. If you leave a, um, a pan of lentils on the stove and you forgot to put it in the fridge, within a day, it's it's pretty much coming to murder you in your yeah, bed. Uh, there's a lot. Of <laughs> so when did the love of cooking and extract what? Well, I understand you're quite an extravagant entertainer. Well, I... And like to take a challenge when you cook. Yes, I do love a challenge. Where did yeah. that come? I don't know. Um, I, Wendy always teases me about this because I, you know, I have these sort of... I love... My two favourite things are when... And there's a whole chapter in the book called Stay for Lunch, which is where um, you manage anxiety about 
catering by only issuing very last-minute invitations. So like when people are already in your house, for instance, um, because they're <laughs> picking up something that they've borrowed or dropping something off or, you know, they've just wanted by. And then you just say, oh, do you want to stay for lunch? And then you can make something... I mean, there's a list of things in that chapter that you can do, typically things that are made from things that you are likely to have in your fridge or freezer anyway. I'm never without um, green peas in the freezer, for instance. Frozen peas are the world's greatest eating entertainer. And I um, spoke to Pamela Clark recently and right. she said, I said, what's your go-to thing that you know, Frozen peas. Yeah. Everything. You can, you can, if you've got a bag of frozen peas, you can make a dip because you're just um, boiling water over the peas into a blender of some kind. Some feta, if you've got it, would be great. Or sour cream, even if you don't. Um, bit of oil, bit of garlic if you fancy, not if you don't, um, <laughs> squeeze of lemon, some mint in the garden if you've got some of that, whack it in, and suddenly it's a delicious dip and it's really, yeah, fresh and colourful. You could put that on a bit of sourdough toast oh. and it's a bruschetta or you could, um, you could then go the whole hog and make it into a chilled soup, which would yep. be tasty as well, or... Um, if you've got the green peas, you can also crack a few eggs and make uh, a green pea frittata. That doesn't take long. That's in the book. Um, and the other one I made last night, two top class eight-year-olds said, this is the new number one, mum. It's the new number one. Rizzoni, green peas, squeeze of lemon, mm -hmm. green peppercorns, mm -hmm. parmesan cheese, yeah. mint. Yeah. Everything good going on there. Yeah. And butter. Yeah. A lot of butter. Uh, so that's the sort of, you know, where you just come up with something and there's good ideas in the book for, you know, quite lovely things that you can make out of quite basic ingredients. And it's good because you haven't been worrying about it in advance. You haven't felt bad about not tidying up because they've just dropped in. What can they expect? Um, <laughs> and they are... They are not expecting any food at all, so to have something tasty delivered to them is, like, awesome. Plus, they're all recipes that don't take very long to make, so you could be right there chatting and just, you know, putting things together. And so everybody's expectations are low, and that is a good thing. <laughs> low expectations are awesome, because high expectations are stressful. And I mm. think that's what my takeaway message is. Yeah. Big on delivery... Well, this is not special delivery. That was the previous book. But big on, de on delivery, yeah. low on expectations. Yeah. Because they're last-minute guests. You haven't had to, as you say, punch the wall before people yeah. have arrived. You haven't yeah. had to go into a, yeah. you know, what did you do? Uh, crying clean. Yes, a crying. A bit of crying. Yeah, crying. Um, yeah. The other thing is, and, you know, if you, if you think about your life and the things that you've got to juggle and deal with and who your guests are and so on, you can come up with a solution that is the, the, the lowest stress that delivers the most pleasure for them. Because that's what entertaining always should be about. It's not a competition. It's not to make you look good or say, wow, look, I can make a crockenbush or whatever. It's how do I bring the most pleasure to the person that I'm inviting over? And it might be just delighting them with an unusual ingredient or flavour combination that's not that hard to make, but it's just like, oh, this is interesting, isn't it? That's a nice thing to do for somebody, provide them with an idea that they can borrow and make other people happy with. Um, other ideas are invite people around at an atypical time of day. That's also another idea. Don't feel like you're going to be locked into some sort of three-course dinner fiasco. Um, invite them around for uh, breakfast if they're morning people. Then you make one breakfast dish, you serve it, you serve it with coffee or orange juice or whatever, 
and then you eat it, and then they're out. You know, you're back on your own to enjoy the day. I am, and that's the thing, though, isn't it? We all like entertaining, but there's nothing nicer when they leave. Oh, well, what about afternoon tea? We're both very, very passionate about afternoon tea, and I think partly for Wendy, who also grew up on a sheep farm, um, the idea of this afternoon tea is great. Like we used to do a bit of visiting after school, and there'd always be just a fantastic cake, and it would be like a big slab cake or something really generous. And you'd all hoe in, have a cup of tea, and then pst, off you go. Yeah. Like, and that's a really great way of doing things because you make. And you know, if, if you've got a bit of time in the morning, you can actually slap together quite a complicated cake if you want. But the key is just do one thing. Don't be buggerizing around with the finger sandwiches and the mini, <laughs> the mini tartlets and the blah blah blah. Just if you've got a nice bunch of flowers, put it on the table. Make your cake. Put that on the table and then make tea or open some champagne if you, you know, that way inclined. But don't do too much, because that's the thing that gets you in the end, is when you're like, oh, do, 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 do. oh and the vegan will have to have this, and the celiac will have to have this, and then you've got a list of six dishes and you're in tears. Like, that's not good. And the book has got some ideas too about that stressfulness of catering for a crowd of people with different dietary requirements. Don't feel like you've got to make a dish for each of those people. You can do dishes that um, work intelligently to that situation. And like some examples that I used, I've got a really close friend who's celiac and who doesn't cook very much, so she's always at my house. And, um, <laughs> which I like, because she's excellent. Uh, I've got some vegans in the vicinity, you know, and if they're all coming around, then you just spend a little bit of extra time creating a strategy rather than heaps of extra time making them a dish each that also also makes them all feel like they're in different tribes. So, for instance, one of my favourite ways of um, entertaining a bit of a crowd is um, to make a poke bowl buffet, which is where you make a... You know, poke bowls are... Like I've always called them poke like, bowls and I've realised... Is that what they... No, well, I don't think... Know. No, I'm, pokey sounds much better than poke. Well, it's more amusing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have no idea how that word is pronounced. Um, so much easier to write. But um, so you just make a huge amount of sushi rice and put it in the middle of the table. And then you have all of these little bowls of additional ingredients. You can have some chicken if you've got a, you know, someone who needs to eat meat. Um, some tofu, some um, sashimi tuna maybe. And then lots of edamame beans and carrot and... Um, herbs and um, a good dressing, and then they can build their little bowl yeah. with the stuff that they love, shunning the stuff that they dislike and otherwise would be polite about if you put it on their plate without asking. And your, um, your celiac person will be fine uh, as long as you use a tamari gluten-free soy sauce in the, your dressing and not yeah. a... because otherwise that won't be good. Um, and your vegans will be happy to have the tofu with all the other ingredients. And now everybody feels like they're included. And you haven't had to stress. No. I think, too, when you invite people over with children... Mm. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, then you've got... We love children. We do. Love and our own. But love other people. But it's, it's, it adds an extra level of complexity and right. greater mess. You know, there's some, lots of... They have amazing ability to squash sure. stuff. Yeah. Plus, furnishing. on the whole, like, it's quite likely that you'll be then cooking a second sitting Ooh. of dinner. Like, where you have an early one where you feed the kids and then you get them to disperse and then you feed Ooh. the adults. Now, that is... 
look, I do that all the time, so I'm not going to poke um, a stick at that um, process. But um, if you aren't up for it, then there is another alternative, which is actually Wendy Sharp's brilliant idea. It's called Pudding Club. So she does this at her house. Um, where you invite your adult guests for adult guest o'clock, like sort of seven o'clock, and you say, can you feed your children dinner before you come? So that means that they'll bang into their kid some quick meal that they know that their kid will eat. So it's not your responsibility to try and make their kid eat their five a day or whatever, like, or deal with Mr. I only eat white food yeah, or, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> so... That's done. And what you do is you prepare the adult's food, but you also make a big pudding or a delicious big dessert. And the kids all share that on arrival. So they have got something incredibly delicious. Uh, they haven't had to eat your improving vegetable, hidden vegetable <laughs> pasta or whatever. And uh, they're happy as a clam. Yeah. So then they go off and play board games or watch a movie or do whatever, and you proceed. I love talking to you, Annabelle, about food, but yet you have so many strings to your bow. You know, you provide incredible political analysis. You write books, you write articles, you cook for friends, you're volunteering at the school kitchen garden to do something with a celeriac. <laughs> <laughs> Can I, uh, because I think at the other level is our energy levels yeah. at a time for entertaining yeah. and exhaustion and just thinking, I just want to watch telly. Yeah. How do you balance that? All out. Uh, well, here, here I'll let you in on a little thing. People often, if they see you on television sometimes, they assume that you're on television all the time. Yeah. And that in, like, in some, like, when, the, when their television isn't switched on, you're still on there just, like, <laughs> doing of, like taking, you know, baskets to people's houses and, like, you're just on this total loop where you're just talking about politics and cooking and, like, I'm just there the whole time. Um, and then they hear you on radio once and they're like, she's doing that the whole time too. <laughs> Uh, and then I casually mention, no, when I help out at school, you're like, then she's at the school every single day. <laughs> and then you feel like, why am I doing that? Well, I'm not doing that either, right? So uh, the way that I work is very um, unpredictable and irregular. Um, so right now I'm on a book tour, so I'm away heaps. And it's really awful and hard because um, I really miss my children and um, I have the most fabulous partner who, even he, <laughs> as he farewelled me grimly this morning, <laughs> and he said, when are you home? I went, well, on Saturday? He's like, are you for real? I'm like, we've had this talk, but yes, I am for real, and it's, I, I know it's bad, I'm sorry. Um, so, but I'm not, I don't live like this all the time at all, and I'm not always filming something somewhere. Some weeks are quite quiet and the advantage of my job is that I kind of fit in as much as I can and when it's quiet I will like be there for school pickup and all that sort of stuff so and I like to live and work like that because I have I think a shortish attention span and I like to have something I like to have change and I like I quite like unpredictability so not everybody loves that but I I, I find that it's a way of keeping my brain distracted and ticking over and coming up with new ideas and things to do. This is a very mum question and my yeah. mum always asks it, but mm. how, how do you recharge? I cook. Is that, is that it? 100%. So whenever I, whenever I get home after I've been away, <laughs> if I've been away for a few days, and look, I don't, I'm never away for this long normally. Like I just, I really 
don't like long absences because it's just not fair uh, on the kids. Um, but when I get back, two things. One, the first thing I want to do is cook something. Like, that's what I m miss, you know, doing when I'm uh, travelling. Um, but also when I get home, my house is really tidy because Jeremy is a tidier. Oh. <laughs> and I always feel bad because I just think, imagine the life you could have if I wasn't in it. Like, <laughs> He would be living in, like, a house of surfaces. With just one orchid. With one, like, one a phalaenopsis orchid yeah. just being beautiful. <laughs> and a white leather couch. Maybe there would be even white things. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, our house is, like, it's furnished with furniture that we had when we were students. Like, I just... I still live like a teenager. It's terrible. I but, that, but I think that get, that's the energy that you bring to everything you do. It is. It's a grubby energy. Disorganisation right. and energy. shambolia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I have... You know, I, I think life is a bit short to be that tidy, mm. to be honest. And I, yeah. I, I like a bit of... Because you're creative. And I think... That's right. That's what I often say to you. You can't have creativity without... <laughs> I have other skills, yeah. darling. <laughs> It's but, true. Yeah, so, yeah, they're, they're the things, yeah, I do notice the, the tidiness when I get home and I don't take very long to mess it up again, no, I'm afraid. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I want to talk about why I love this book so much and why you will love this book so much because... I don't I even know why I'm bothering to be on this book tour. You should just go. Yeah, I'll go. Oh, okay. you, you go home tonight. I can I'll go home and mess up my house and I'll, you can yeah, just, I'll like... I'll wear the shoes, we'll swap it, shoes. Yeah, OK. Um, <laughs> it's because you know what? Sometimes when you cook stuff out of a recipe book, and there's you always have to go to the shop to get one pesky ingredient. Mm. And you think, oh, I've done the experiment these last couple of weeks. I've read the book in the morning with my cup of tea in bed. I've read it at night going to bed again. I've read a few more. Everything I love about it. But then when I go to make the the actual dish, mm. I don't have to go to the shop. Okay, so I'm going to set up here what I call VPL. I'm so VPL. Yeah, the visible pantry line. Because this, okay, we have everyone will have some slivered almonds or almonds of some description yep. in your cupboard. Whether it's whole almonds, we don't want blanched almonds. We want the whole skin and all. Okay, mm -hmm. almonds, spices that start with C. Yeah, isn't it? It's Coriander, a great letter for spices. Yeah, chili, cinnamon. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I've just Sumac never... doesn't start with C, but it could. It could. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, look at that, another one, ground cumin. Cumin, all uh, ground, okay. I have nightmares about running out of cumin in my house. Uh. And so, like, whenever I go to the supermarket, I'll panic buy it, and then I'll remember that I've got eight <laughs> bags of it. But you know what? Yeah. Otolenghi has ridiculous yeah. ingredients. Yeah. And so many of them, crab and sharp, uh -uh. salt, salt. Oh, yeah. smoked paprika, which yeah. I've had, I think, for about 25 years, but yeah. it still has a smoky flavour. All right. Um, oh, I That's did buy those the other day at the IGA, so uh, green peppercorns. Yeah. What's that? Oh, oh, pepita, you will never know. Oh. Um, pepitas, lots of those. Uh, coriander seeds. Oh, I have gone through every oh. single bit of mint in my garden. Oh, of course you have, It's yeah. been like the... The ferrets have been through because <laughs> everything is gone. Because, yeah. Annabelle, you use a lot of mint. I do use a lot of mint. Um, mint... Cafe lime leaf mm -hmm. in lots of things. Yeah, Wendy's, and that's Wendy. This is the inspiration, I think, for me, the biggest take home. Because there's always something sitting on my kitchen bench that I just don't know how to use it. Half a lemon. Yes. <laughs> oh, and ev nearly, not every recipe, but it just calls for half a lemon. 
How, how delicious is that? It's a trick because once you've made res one recipe, then you have to make oh. another one to use up the other half of the lemon. So, yeah, so there is my VPL, thanks to Annabelle Crabb. Of, this is all you need and it's, you can make every single thing It's so interesting in that you should do this because we, when <laughs> writing the book, wanted to include a fancy pantry. Oh. Which, and in the end, we did not write it in time. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like, oh, it's a bit late, isn't it? And they went, yeah. <laughs> right. What would have okay. been in it? Well, so my idea was um, a fancy pantry, just like a list of items that are not like as everyday as eggs or sugar or butter or whatever, but things that are really disproportionately useful to making imaginative scratch dishes that aren't just cheese on toast, right? And my fancy pantry in no particular, it has things like um, halloumi cheese. Oh, I've yeah. always got halloumi in my fridge because it is incredibly useful uh, and it keeps forever. So, I mean, I haven't tested how long. <laughs> it keeps for as long as it needs to before I need halloumi, which is a bad example because that's every day. Um, capers. Yeah. Salted capers I prefer, but fine with the brined kind. Uh, olives, green peas, see above discussion. Uh, slivered almonds, absolutely. Spices, obviously. Um, what else? Oh, sardines. Wendy's obsessed yeah, with sardines. That Vegemite. Um, Vegemite. You have got that crumpet in here. Okay, but don't sneer at that because I did. So Wendy wrote to me, because um, Wendy lives in London now, sadly, so we wrote the book sort of by correspondence. And she said, oh, I've got this brilliant recipe for crumpets. I'm like, okay, I'm still listening. I love a crumpet. And she <laughs> says, so you make a sort of a savoury butter out of me. You mash butter and Vegemite and mustard. And exactly. <laughs> yeah. That... And what it that, alarms that, me that is... That rumble of disapproval is, is exactly what I was feeling. That it has been photographed and... But I know, right? And I, and I just said... And um, chopped up flat leaf parsley. And so she sent this recipe to me and I said, mate, I'm not eating that. That sounds disgusting. <laughs> and she said, no, no, really? It's great. I'm like, <laughs> come again. And then we, we photographed it at the shoot and then I ate about 14 of them because <laughs> it is unbelievably delicious. Really. And it's the sort of thing that... You will serve, invite someone over and serve and it's so easy to make. And they'll just be like, what? You're for real? <gasps> I mean, I'm... Try it. Yeah. Give it a shot. <laughs> but this is the thing, you know, sometimes you can... If your rule is, how do I delight my guest? Sometimes it's just adding some Vegemite and mustard to some butter and putting it on a crumpet. <laughs> it's weird, but like... Yeah. So a good example... Um, from the book is the roast potato recipe, right? Oh. So <clears throat> everybody has a roast potato recipe that's their go-to. And before, about a year and a half ago, mine was this sort of quite... I'd sort of perfected, I thought, this method that was quite, quite time-consuming uh, and involving a lot of fiddling. So I'd get my potatoes, peel them, chop them up into big chunks, parboil them until they're like a little bit falling apart, you know, at the edges, drain them, shake them a bit to rough them up and sprinkle some semolina over them or rice flour if I had a celiac person or gluten-free person in the area. Um, then um, baking tin, olive oil in the tin, preheating till it's really hot, put the um, potatoes into the hot oil, dress the third degree burns that I would... Um, <laughs> 
require in this process. Turn the potatoes so they're all coated into the hot oven. Give them a bit, bring them out, turn them, have them fall about a bit more, be anxious, uh, back in, out again. Are they ready? I don't know. Turn them. I don't know. Salt. Um, anyway, you get some good potatoes that way, but you spend a bit of time, you know, fretting about them and tending to them. Here's the thing that I had at my friend Alice's house. Um, now, Alice is a massive meat fan. She just likes to eat steak with some carbs, you know. And so... I went there and she was having a dinner party, which was like these giant kind of dinosaur-looking steaks. You know, like, they're called tomahawk steaks or something like madness. Um, anyway, but she made this huge tray of uh, roast potatoes, which I quite happily would have just had as the whole meal. She made me some salad and stuff, and it was not necessary. I would have absolutely just eaten these potatoes because they were the most golden, crunchy, ridiculously calorific but delicious um, potatoes ever. And she shared with me the secret of making these bad boys, which is that you get two kilos of kestrel potatoes. It's got to be kestrel potatoes. They're quite a du jour potato, actually. You can get them in two-kilo bags at uh, supermarkets. And you put them into uh, a big pot of water. You don't peel them. You don't do anything to them. Uh, you boil them until they're soft, until you could stick a knife right through easily and their skins have split a bit and they're starting to look a bit... I might fall apart, I don't know, thinking about it. And then <laughs> you drain those and then you get a completely dry baking tin, like a roasting tin. You've got to sort of select one that will fit all of your potatoes and quite sn snugly so they're kind of a bit cheap, I jowl with each other. And then you get a big spoon and you just squish them down so that each of them's got a sort of a dent in the top and they split a little bit, totally fine. And then, I'm sorry, but you add a cup of oil. Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, it's a lot of oil, but just think it's like you, about 18 large-ish potatoes, so, you know, your amortisation of oil to potatoes. Sure, exactly, exactly. I mean, this is not an everyday oh. potato. It's not a slimming potato either, but it's a, it's a delicious potato. And so you just pour that all over the top and then uh, an equally criminal amount of salt uh, follows that. And then um, into the hot oven and you do not touch them again. You don't turn uh. them, you don't interfere with them, you don't speak German to them or do anything that you might otherwise do. And then after about an hour, and if you're not ready, then you can just turn them down a bit and they'll potter along quite nicely, you've got the most crunchy, insanely delicious potato ever created. And on the underside, they're called glass potatoes because the underside is so incredibly cracklingly crunchy and a bit translucent, you know, like the best chip in the, in the hot chips packet. They're so good. And you can, like, I have done um, a last-minute stay-for-dinner thing where I think, I've got two kilos of potatoes, brilliantly, um, because you just put them in and then they do their stuff without you doing anything, so you're free to return to drinking wine with your friends. And then I've done that with a green salad. That's dinner. And because, you know, it's not the sort of thing that you would serve at a dinner party that you'd spent the day preparing for, but if you feed hungry people who have already had two glasses of wine, that, they're thrilled. They're just like, I've moved straight to the fish and chip shop on the way home model of catering. Also, there's a salad, so it's not all bad, right? I want to move on to the vexed issue mm. of washing up. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I am of the type that think is the best gift you can give your host mm. is to wash up after dinner. Yeah. I've even travelled with 
the rubber gloves, no. flock lined. Oh, yep. oh I, I love can't those. rely on those yeah. sort of horrible silver lines. No. Yeah. So, and I do the washing up, and I think it's the loveliest thing, but then I resent it. Oh, my goodness, I leave right. the dinner party going, oh, why did I do the washing up? Why did they let me do the washing up? Where do you stand on washing up at a get at? <laughs> well, whatever I'm going to say, it's not going to be as psychiatrically complicated as your <laughs> arrangement, is it? Don't See, invite me to do that. No, I've lost. I, I don't do that anymore. I think that's yeah, really damaging for you and your hosts. <laughs> <laughs> because if, seriously, I mean, I adore you already. But if you turned up at my house with a um, little like handbag right, on. with your with your flock lined gloves, <laughs> and then like, I hate you. I'm going to do the dishes. I wasn't expecting this at all. How dare you? <laughs> my technique when I'm a guest is to do that whole kind of, you know. As you're about to leave, oh, um, carry one thing into the kitchen. <laughs> like, helping. This is me helping. <laughs> Bye. I'm such a bad and guest. And you wouldn't ask it of your guests? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. But then again, um, if we have people over, I'm probably doing about 60%, maybe 60 to 70% of the cooking. Um, Jeremy will normally commandeer responsibility for the meat. But then he is like a gun tidier, as I said. Oh. So he's he's just like a machine with the clear up. Team. That's mm. what that that is it, isn't it? Yeah. Entertaining as as the team. Yeah. I'm well aware that you have so many questions that you all want to ask yourself. I so think I think we pretty much covered everything. Yeah, we have. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you about my favourites again. Um, no, we I, I have got a lot of favourites in here. Um, um, but on, on the halloumi thing, can yes. I say that? Um, the halloumi recipe that I most love was first made for me in Canberra when I lived in Canberra um, by a friend of mine. Um, and I've been making it for probably 20 years and it is the easiest thing. It's just a block of halloumi chopped up into cubes, into a bowl, olive oil, um, some minced garlic, some chilli flakes, some capers and the zest of a lime. You take that lime and you squeeze it and you pour the juice over a bunch of rocket that you've sort of picked and cleaned up. Cook your spaghetti, big pan, hot, tip the whole bowl of marinating deliciousness in and it will fry and fry and fry and your halloumi will go golden, your garlic will cook, your capers will get a bit crispy and then you drain your spaghetti, tip it into the big pan with all the crispiness, toss it around, put the whole lot into the big bowl of rocket with, um, with lime juice, yep. toss, 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 and it is the greatest dish because it's salty, it's spicy, limey. it's limey, and it's got carbs. So it's <laughs> <laughs> that, That's it. It's just, it strikes me that entertaining and food is so generous. And, yeah. And I think we have lost, with our busyness, yeah. we've lost that generosity. And with that, you lose the community. That's true. And, and also, I think, you know, when you're wanting to do something nice for someone, you know, there's this... It's so easy to go and buy them a pointless gift or something, which they'll sort of say thank you. And then, you know, I don't know. It just seems like I'm, uh, cooking something for someone is is the ultimate act of generosity because you're committing time to it, which is the, it is the commodity of our age. Mm. So if you're, if you're happy to spend a bit of time looking after your friends, I always remember when I went to um, Tanya Plibersek's house for Kitchen Cabinet, she was a great host. And she's also provided me with the baked 
um, olives in cheese pastry that's at the back of the book, man, that is a great canapé. And you can make it in advance and then freeze it and forget that it's in the freezer. And then people come around and you think, oh, my God, I've got nothing. Like, oh, no, I've got these. <laughs> They're the greatest thing ever. And then next thing, your house smells like cheese, cheese straws and hot olive, oh. which is just a good smell. But anyway, she said, look... Um, my job is really busy and involves being away a lot and I miss things, you know, I miss things in my friends' lives and in my kids' lives and um, what I really love is to get them together and spend some proper time on making something wonderful for them to really communicate that even though I'm not always there, when I'm here, I'm here and I'm spending time on making something for you and I think that's a really great philosophy. And that's, that's exactly what I've been experimenting with. What I'd love everyone else to experiment with is just to do exactly as Annabelle said. Say, say stay for dinner. Get your risoni out, yeah. frozen peas. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. And it's delightful. And you will sit down as well, which is often a rare thing to do yeah. as an adult. Kids, no problem. Adults, to sit down and enjoy the company without the, the struggle. With the scurrying, yeah. yeah. Can we open the floor yeah, for sure. questions? Yeah, Because I've banged on. And Ooh. I will just ask people to wait for the microphone to come to them, please. We've got just such an early starter over there. Because sometimes there's a bit of a, oh, I don't know. Such a what? Absolutely not in this crowd. <laughs> Hi. Thanks. Hi. Um, I'm Alison. Hello, Firstly, um, I've got treats for you and for you too, Lish. <gasps> treats. I didn't say, we did say out the back, I bet... Do you think there'll be any treats yeah, for you? Yeah, so I did, ha I did have to bring treats because I'm back for my work colleagues next week because that's my last uh, week had a job. So Great. Anyway, I brought some today. Um, <laughs> but I have two things. One, when kids come to my house yep. when they have... Because we've got a neighbourhood full of kids. There's 16 of them. Uh -huh. And when they come to my house, I put out a big plate of stuff like carrot sticks, yep. cheese, cucumber, capsicum, yep. celery, whatever. And I'm like, I don't care what you eat, guys, but you have to eat five things off this plate. Yep. And that's my... That's thing. great. And yeah. they usually do. And like Harriet usually eats 10 tomatoes, and Henry goes, I only eat yellow capsicum. And I'm like, great, there's yellow capsicum, knock yourself out. So that's, yeah. you know, that works for me. Great um, job. But you know, when you're going somewhere for dinner and your host, your host goes, oh, don't bring anything, and you know, they actually really mean, can you please bring something that's completely delicious? <laughs> and they go, oh, don't bring anything. What, what do you do? <laughs> oh, yeah, good one. <laughs> You go, yeah, no, I'm not bringing it's anything, like or do you gloves. go... <laughs> it's like the flop line gloves. I don't know. Resentment. Uh, <laughs> well, see, because I'm a vegetarian, uh, well, pescatarian, actually, I'm a cheat vegetarian, um, <laughs> I am full of anxiety about foisting myself as a guest onto someone who really just wants to roast a duck, you know? Uh, <laughs> just really wants to make some wildlife suffer. So I'm always the person who's like, would you like me to bring a nut loaf or something which, you know is my attempt to not feel so awkward about foisting my dietary requirements on them. Um, so I, um, I'm also just a bit... I, I hate walking into someone else's house empty-handed. And Jeremy, like, the number of times where we've been nearly ready to leave, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, making biscuits. <laughs> it's like, what? You don't need to take this. I need to take something. Uh, so, and I don't know. I think it's actually from growing up in a in a rural pocket where, you, whenever you go to someone else's house, if you've got chickens, you take them a dozen eggs. Uh, if particularly if they don't have chickens, if they have chickens, that's just weird. Uh, <laughs> or you know, um, if you've. Um, 
got an apricot tree and you've just made all this jam, then you take a jar of it along. Like, that is baked into my bones, man. Like, it's not cool to turn up to someone's house without something to eat. And I just would struggle. I can't remember what... There's some cultures where it's rude to take food to someone else's house because it seems to imply that you're not expecting to get decent food there. I would not thrive in that culture. <laughs> very, very weird. So I would say um, the politest thing to do in that circumstance is to take something that um, uh, is a low-maintenance thing that could be used but isn't a disaster if it isn't used right away. Um, so I would... I mean, in our last cookbook, I reproduced my mother's recipe for spicy nuts, which is, like, it's an awesome spicy nut recipe and, like, so many good things, it starts with almonds. And um, you just make a little spice mix, which is all the sea spices and curry powder. It's got a really embarrassing secret spice, like the Keen's curry powder, which I love and will not hear a word against, whilst acknowledging that it is a 1970s agreement uh, deal. And then uh, with sugar and salt, and then you, um, you whip up one egg white, and this is enough for about six cups of nuts. You toss the nuts through this sort of meringue and they get all coated and sticky and then you put the spice mix and mix that through so it all sticks to the nuts, right? And then you bake them and what you end up with is sort of like a hard toffee that's a sort of um, spicy, salty, sweet. Oh. Right, and you just get that in a jar and that keeps forever and you can turn up with that to your friend's house because it is a canapé but it also could be a gift for later. Yeah. I reckon that's what I'd do. Thanks, Alison. Thanks, Alison. <laughs> Any other questions? Culinary. Oh, Alison, if you've just passed that microphone across. Yeah. Oh, you've done with it. There we are. Hi. Um, I'm with Alison. Ah. <laughs> Is Alison coming around to your house tonight? Because that would yeah, be awkward. Okay. And, and <laughs> can I just say, she, she never just brings spicy nuts. Ah, oh, okay. She usually brings a mascarpone fig cheesecake? Yeah. Oh. Well, actually, that would have been my other recommendation. <laughs> also, Alison, can you come to my house? <laughs> um, I, I've got two questions. One, do you ever have fantasies of sneaking capers into Lee Sales dinners? Well, I've done it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> she hates it. Um, and if Ottolinghi was coming to lunch, what would you make him? If who was? Ottolinghi. Oh. I actually have lost hours of sleep wondering about this very question. And I met him, clang, as, as anyone who listens to our podcast for three seconds will know, I did meet him. And I met him because I had just finished um, doing the book tour for our first cookbook and the publicist that I was travelling with, her next author was Ottolenghi. And so I just cried and whined at her until she agreed to invite me to this dinner party that he was attending. It was so great and he was <laughs> so lovely. And I was just, you know when you meet someone that you've always admired, you think, what am I going to, like, what are my conversation points going to be? What am I going to, I can't just ask him something really obvious. I've got to, like, and I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to initiate a conversation about um, unfashionable ingredients and loving them. And I went straight out there and said, I really love smoked oysters. What do you think of that? And he said, oh, you too? <laughs> and there was 
the greatest moment. Like, either he's just the world's most polite man, but then, which is possible, um, but then he told me this great story about how his dad used to make this weird potato salad with sort of crushed potatoes tossed with lemon, of course. Everything he makes has a lemon in it. And herbs and smoked oysters. I was thinking, Tim, that sounds like a weird salad, but okay, I reckon, I reckon it could actually work. But it, it was certainly what, not what I was expecting his response would be. And um, anyway, I got so completely thrilled by this encounter um, that I went home and I made the above-mentioned spicy nuts. And I also, um, at the local market around the corner from my house, there was this smokehouse place that did the greatest hot smoked salmon, but they also made smoked olives really big, fat Kalamata olives that were smoked. Oh, my God, they're such delicious olives. So I made a little jar of those, and I put them in a bag with a little note, and I dropped it to his hotel. Not in a stalkery way, just in a bag. <laughs> and then he emailed me oh. to say thank you, and I was just like... <laughs> so I don't know. The truth is um, that cooking dinner for him would be up there with tidying the table, I reckon. I'd be, um, I reckon I'd be stressed to the max. But I guess I would probably try and observe my kind of self-imposed rule, which is don't try to do too many things. If you've got a list of things that you're going to cook that is more than three, uh, take something off. Yeah, I think those potatoes. Yeah. You go, well, the glass of potatoes. Potatoes, yeah. Um, yeah. I think we've got one time for one more. Because then we've got to go and eat afternoon tea because this is bringing back afternoon tea. No, I know. As Annabelle has done so recently. It's so approved. Oh. Thank you. Hi, I'm Bianca. Hi, Bianca. Um, you've got such a wonderful style. Tell us about what aprons you have in your house. Oh, I have many aprons. Yeah, I have a lot. So um, I have a couple that belong to my grandmother. She was a major apron haver. And she, 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 she was more the pinny type person. And in fact, and my, this is my maternal, my paternal grandmother, who just was not a cook at all. Like, a, she was like a family joke for the cooking. She's like <laughs> the warmest, most funny, like mischievous individual. She was really hilarious. But her, her culinary expertise extended to, she made crumb chops all the time that she would like deep fry, which is like, and, but, but weirdly enough, the things that I remember about her, like I, I'm really connected to a couple of things that she used to make, for instance, she would make tomato sandwiches with white pepper. And so good. Like, so she'd use multi-grain bread, bit of butter, uh, sliced up fresh tomato and heaps of white pepper and salt. And I cannot... White pepper is just absolutely associated with her in my memory. I cannot get it. I cannot disentangle those things. Also, every Christmas, she used to... Um, her canapé would be, she would open a packet of Nobby's um, beer nuts and a packet of sultanas and she'd mix them together. <laughs> and then it'd be handed them around. And honestly, I cannot... If I eat those, it's like I'm back there. Oh. And it's delicious as well because, you know, salty and sweet. So, yeah. Um, sorry, what was the what question? Was her apron? <laughs> oh, <laughs> aprons, right. So she had this one that went kind of like over the shoulder and then buttoned at the side. So it was like full coverage front and back, yeah. just in case Why she was... Why do you need the back? Why do you I don't know, you in case she was back? ever like frying something like this. <laughs> I don't know. But then it had this pocket that went all the way across. Mm. And she just had everything in that pocket. Like a, you'd, she'd be like, oh, yeah, here, here's, a, here's a dollar, here's a hairpin, here's a, you know, 
here's a bit of baling twine to fix that thing with, here's a pocket knife. She had a lot of stuff in that pocket. And um, anyway, but I've collected aprons a little bit over the years. I, um, I have some sort of flouncy 50s housewife type ones that I really only, they're really just for personal use. Um, and, uh, Actually, the best one, I can't even, am I supposed to tell this story? I'm sure I'm allowed to. Yeah. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I went to um, speak at ASIO. <laughs> After I wrote, wrote The Wife Drought, they asked me to come and speak uh, to discuss workplace gender issues wow. at ASIO. <laughs> so I get, got to go to that cool building and look inside it, which is awesome. They, made, they took every single thing that I owned off me before I was allowed in there. But anyway, we had, I gave this talk and, you know, it was exciting. And everybody just looked like normal people. I was expecting them to be <laughs> yeah. a, a bit more spy. Yeah. <laughs> there will be somebody in this room that was there. there. <laughs> and... Um, and at the end, they gave me an ASIO apron that they had made for me. <laughs> what were the features? Probably it's bad. so good. It's a really attractive linen apron with a sort of like a sort of a, a, mar, a sort of a stripe in blue and grey, and then it just says ASIO. <laughs> it's so cool. But how about this? Like last year, no, earlier this year, we live in um, the inner west of Sydney. I know how predictable. Um, and uh, in Newtown, they've got this refugee centre. And it's an awesome place. Uh, they um, are a centre for refugee families to go in there, like, uh, for um, employment. And, um, and there's, like, a um, donated clothes and kitchen utensils and things that are helpful if you're setting up a house. And once a week, they put on a big lunch and you can just come and eat. And um, there's a program there called Kids Giving Back where they get kids to prepare all this food and then serve these families. It's awesome. So we got together and our kids did it, right? Um, and we collected all these aprons for everybody to wear. And then my friend Miranda was, you know, dishing out lamb, rice, chicken curry or something. And she said, oh, I need an apron. So I threw it and it was the ASIO one. I'm like, oh, maybe that's not the right one. <laughs> Maybe we should just, like... <laughs> so, yeah, it's a great... One of the greatest gifts I've ever been given for speaking somewhere. <laughs> Keeping tabs on her ever since in the school. Well, it's interesting because um, my friend Duncan brought me back a souvenir apron once from Washington, D.C., which was a... Um, must have been a CIA apron. I and, reckon there's a theme here. And it I don't said... Like it. It said, Director of Whisk Assessment. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> so good. I think... Well, would you like to wrap up? I think we need to... Have, yes. Unfortunately, we could talk, couldn't we? Yeah, but there we afternoon tea now, so yeah, that'll be good. Right. We have mm. tea, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Annabelle. It's oh, been a joy. Before we go... Oh. <laughs> I, I've, I've got... But I want... You and... Before we go, I want Annabelle in the front. I wanted to get to a smug shot because you know she's all about the smugness, but <laughs> in purely in comedy. But I do want a smug shot. So if she could just stand, is that all right? Yeah, Can I sure. get you with this lovely crowd behind yes. you? Um, do you want me to like lie down oh, yeah, the front? Smug. Like, yeah, 100% smug. Um, oh no, we just need. Oh, that's smug. That's definitely got it. All right, there we go. There's smug. <laughs> Oozing. Oozing. Thank you. Thank you, Annabelle. You were definitely Please gonna... put your hands together for Annabelle Crabb. <laughs>
I don't know about you, but I'm really hungry now. <laughs> so thankfully we have Swirl Catering up in the foyer who have catered a beautiful afternoon tea inspired from special guests. And our bookshop is selling special guests this afternoon for a 10% discount. And Annabelle has kindly agreed to sign copies. So I hope you can all join us in the foyer. Thank you again, Annabelle and Lee. Thank you. <laughs> Line is such a good idea. Like, visible panty line. So good. I Love really it. wish we had done the special pantry, like the fancy panty. Yeah, fancy. <laughs> I think there's a need for it. Yeah. Thank you. But the green peppercorn is such a revelation oh, too, isn't it? Really? Because I don't think I've ever oh, really cooked with them. No. And that was Wendy's. Just like, just smash yeah. it up and. Got the water and pestle. Yeah. About the green peppercorn, the mint is inspired. The yeah. Everything. Thank you. That was great fun. These people want to meet you, but thank you. I grew up on a sheep farm as well. There's so much. There's mm. the parallels are uncanny, Adam. Yeah. Wow. Come from New South Wales. <laughs> <laughs>